Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So in case you're new to Christ Fellowship, my name is Joel, and I'm super excited to be um, sharing today's message with with you this morning. We've been going through the Bible this entire year. Every week has been one book for the most part. And this week, we're actually getting into the book of Ezekiel. But before we get into it, I actually want to give a title to today's teaching. And the title is, Don't Grow Weary in Serving God. I'm going to say it again. Don't Grow Weary in Serving God. So some background knowledge on Ezekiel. He was a prophet chosen by God. A prophet is a spokesman that speaks to the people on God's behalf, and God gives him the words to say. He was from the nation of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. See, Israel and Judah at one point were one nation, but at this point they were split into two parts, the north and the south, and he was from the south, from Judah. Now, Judah was invaded by the Babylonian Empire. They were invaded by the Babylonian Empire, and thousands of people were exiled and actually taken captive into Babylon, like many thousands of people, and Ezekiel was one of those people. He was one of the people. So he begins his ministry as a prophet after being taken captive into Babylon. Now He's living in Babylon. He's not living in his own country. And he was 30 years old when he had a vision from God. So God gave him this like super vivid, miraculous, supernatural vision that you can read about. I'm not going to read it. It's very detailed, but it's in chapter uh, two, I believe, or chapter one. Forgive me. We're going to read chapter two. And there... Hold on, there's like a squeak here. I don't know, if, did anybody notice a squeak? There, was a, there you go. I'm going to move forward a little bit so you don't hear that anymore, or at least I don't hear it anymore. And now I'm realizing why they had it up there. So 30 years old, he had a vision from God, and 30 was a very significant age because if you were prepare, preparing to be a priest, 30 years old was when you actually became the priest. So he's 30 years old, and he's in Babylon. So guess what? He's not in the temple So he can't really do the priestly duties that he would have done. He's in another country. After receiving this very detailed vision, Ezekiel hears from God. And I want to read chapter 2. There are about 10 verses. I want to read chapter 2. So bear with me. But I think it's very important to read and to listen to related to because it really sets up what we're going to talk about today. So Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it says this. He said to me, son of man. Stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation. You're going to hear that word at least like 10 times, I think. To a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. 
Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are, they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. I mean, I don't know if anyone's keeping track. I don't know how many times he said it. It's, it's a lot of times. So you can already tell what kind of people he's going to speak to. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. So let's picture this situ- situation for a moment. Ezekiel again is 30 years old. If he would have been in Judah, if Judah had never been invaded by the Babylonian Empire, he would have been in Judah working in the temple, you know, carrying his priestly duties. This is something he had been prepared for his whole life. That's what he was kind of setting up his whole life for. That was his family trade, basically. That's what he did. That's what his family did. And that's what he was going to do too. Instead, he's in Babylon. And God's giving him this very complex vision. He's experiencing God's presence in a magnificent way. And he's receiving this call from God to speak to the people that have been exiled. And also even the people back in Jerusalem, the word got back to them as well. He would preach of the judgment they would receive because of their own disobedience, because of their own rebellion against God. That was the message he was going to preach. He was going to preach about their judgment that they were going to receive, the consequence of their own rebellion against God. This wasn't an easy task to do. It wasn't easy at all. Ezekiel had to tell Jerusalem that the capital of Judah, their home country, was going to be attacked again. That was his message. Jerusalem is going to be attacked again by the same people that attacked it last time. They're going to be attacked again. That's really hard to share, to say that message. Why? Because the one hope they kind of had, these people that were held captive. See, most people remained in Jerusalem. Not everyone left. But the ones that were captive, right? Most of them found this kind of security in the fact that Jerusalem wasn't destroyed. Imagine you're you're captive in another country. Your hope is one day I'm going to go back home. So the one thing that they actually found security in was, hey, Jerusalem was not destroyed. So there's hope that I can go back. On top of that, the temple was not destroyed. And the temple was significant, obviously, because that's where God's presence dwelled. But what's Ezekiel's message? Ezekiel's message is Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. And on top of that, the, including the temple is going to be destroyed. So not only your home, but the security that you find, because they really looked at the temple as the security, more, way more than they even should have, because their security should have been in a relationship with God. But their security, the way they looked at it was the temple represented, this is, this is God. If he's there, obviously, if he's there, we're safe. And his message is, it's all going to get ruined. It's all going to get destroyed. The fact that Jerusalem was persevered, I mean, I'm sorry, preserved, was their sign of security. But that was all going to be stripped away. This is the crazy thing. Even after the first invasion, the people that were exiled still rebelled against God. And so did the people in Jerusalem. They still rebelled against God. So they rebelled against God. They were rebellious. They ignored the first prophets that forewarned this invasion, right? Isaiah and Jeremiah, they spoke about this. They told them this is going to happen. They ignored them. They ignored the consequences of their own sin when Jerusalem was invaded and they were taken captive. They were still ignoring God. What do you think they were going to do with uh, Ezekiel? Any guess? No one? 
They're going to ignore him. They're going to rebel. They weren't going to listen to him. They were not going to listen to him. Disobedience and rebellion against God was their nature. That's what they did. They continued to sin against God even after this. See, looking at our own country for a second, looking at the U.S., is our country really that different? Is our country really that different? We live in a country where disobedience and rebellion against God has been normalized. It's normal. It's, it's, it's common. It's strange to obey God in our country. It's normal to be disobedient and rebel against him, just like it had been in Judah. So it can be a bit intimidating to try to represent God and serve him here in our own nation. But we can learn something very important from Ezekiel. And it's the message that I said earlier, that point. Do not grow weary in serving God. I don't know where you are this morning. I know we're all in different places, you know, in, as far as our journey with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't really know him. You're not really close to him, right? Maybe you haven't really made this decision to be close to God. Um, maybe you're not even sure what you believe about God. If that's you this morning, I hope God tugs at your heart and reveals who he is to you. I really hope that as you're listening to this message, God starts tugging at your heart and reveals how real he is to you. The one thing I feel is the most real thing I can count on. The one thing I can bank my life on is who Jesus is. That's it. That's the only thing I'm willing to put all my chips on. I hope that he reveals that truth to you as well. And not only that, I hope you respond to a belief in God and you respond with faith in Jesus's action on the cross. That's the most important thing you can do. So if that's where you are, that's my hope for you. But maybe you do know him, you're just not serving him. Maybe you do know God, but you're not really serving God. Whether in ministries within the church or, you know, outside of the church, just kind of reaching people for, for God, reaching for, you know, reaching for, uh, reaching, sorry, people for Jesus. If that's you, I pray that God tugs at your heart and reveals the significance, the importance in serving him. See, Christianity, I don't know if you realize, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's meant to be a participant sport. You're supposed to participate. Christianity is not a spectator sport. God calls us to participate in his kingdom by actively serving. We just read a perfect example of how God calls someone to serve in the story of Ezekiel. And maybe you and I will never have such a vivid and, you know, supernatural experience where God's calling you to do something. But the New Testament makes it very clear what the expectation is of Christians, and in, in how we're meant to serve. It's crystal clear. You don't need this supernatural vision for God to tell you, I want you to serve. If you're a believer in me, I want you to be serving. You don't need that because the, the scripture says it very clearly. These are Jesus's words. He says this in uh, Matthew the, uh, chapter 20. And he says this to his disciples, not so with you in regards to uh, being a servant, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That's just, again, as you're saying, servant. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Like that's the ultimate example. Jesus himself came down and served. So obviously it should be crystal clear that if we're followers of Christ, that's what we're meant to do too. So I pray that if that's you, I pray that you send God's call to participate and actively serve in his kingdom. Whether it be giving your time, using your talents, sharing, you know, your resources, all things that God gave to you in the first place. I pray that you respond yes when he gives you that challenge. And then thirdly, finally, if you're here and you, you know, you're, you're a believer and you are serving the Lord, whether it's been a long time or a short time, my prayer is really simple. And it's today's message. Don't grow weary 
in serving God. Do not grow weary in serving God. I think Ezekiel's ministry is going to speak a lot to all of us this morning. So there are different moments throughout the book of Ezekiel that have really made me think about my own walk with God. And I'm going to highlight some of those moments. I'm going to, we're going to read those uh, scriptures and then highlight those points in, that refer to this uh, service that we're talking about. And number one is this, ready? Do not grow weary in serving because of how you feel. So that's the first thing, ready? Do not grow weary in serving because of how you feel. Chapter 3, verse 14. He had just received this vision from God. God had just spoken to him and told him everything he wants him to do. And read what it says. Check this out in chapter 3. The spirit then lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I'm going to read that again. The spirit then lifted me up. The Holy Spirit lifted him up and took him away. And I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. Does that sound like Ezekiel felt like serving God at that moment? I have to admit, like, that's shocking to me. It really is shocking to me. He just finished having this supernatural experience with God. He was in God's presence. And it's extremely shocking to me that he felt anything other than complete awe and extreme, you know, joy and and complete satisfaction and being in God's presence. No, when he left, when he finished this experience with God, his feelings were bitterness and anger. I don't, I, to be honest, I can't fully understand that. You know, that really shocks me. But I'm, I'm really surprised by that fact. After having such a vivid uh, experience with God, that's how he felt. Now, the reason he was bitter and angry was because he was called to tell a message that we already said he knew was not going to be well received. In fact, earlier in chapter three, I didn't read this, but earlier in chapter three, God told him blatantly, straight up. He told them, they're not going to listen to you. (laughs) All you're doing is eliminating their excuse, but they're not going to listen to you. I know this. This is who they are, but you're going to, I need you to do this anyway. So he knew that it wasn't going to be well received. That's why he felt this way. He didn't feel like doing this. He was bitter and angry. He had been preparing his whole life to be a priest. He thought when he was 30 years old, he was going to live in the temple. He was going to be, you know, making sacrifices. He was going to be burning up the altar, you know, keeping the altars burning. He thought he was going to be burning up incense. That's what he thought his life was going to be. He was upset. But this is the crazy thing. Ready? Even though he was bitter and angry, Ezekiel still did it. He still did it. Even though he was feeling that way, he still did what God called him to do. He still did what God called him to do. Some of, this, some of us this morning are sitting here and, you know, forgive me. Some of us this morning are either sitting here or watching online and have been told by God what he wants us to do. Maybe he didn't tell you exactly the way Ezekiel was told. Maybe in your case, you were reading the word and God spoke a word into your heart. Or maybe you were praying and God said a word into your mind. Or maybe speaking to someone else, God, in that conversation, God confirmed something you've already been thinking or feeling of what he wants you to do. Or maybe listening to a message on Sunday morning, God spoke a word into your heart and told you, hey, this is where I want you to, how I want you to serve. I'm sure there are people here, right here this morning, that have been told by God what, they want, what God wants you to do, but you haven't done it. But you haven't done it yet. You're stalling. You're delaying. For whatever reason it may be, you haven't done it yet. Maybe God has told you completely, like straight up, what certain ministry he wants you to be in, but you keep stalling because of feeling 
scared or feeling uncomfortable, maybe feeling bitterness or anger because it's not what you wanted to do. Like, hey, I want to I want to sing. I want to sing this to Pastor Harold, but you're telling me to, you know, to help out as an usher. Like, come on, God, that's not what I wanted. First of all, you can't sing. Like, obviously, you're not going to be up there. Pastor Harold, he, he's not going to put me up there because he knows I can't do it. But you get my point. Like, maybe it's not what you thought you wanted to do, but it's what God's telling you to do. Or a totally different scenario. Maybe you're already serving in a specific ministry, but lately you've been feeling tired. And you're wondering, you know what? You're wondering, you know what? I, I don't know if this is for me anymore. Like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Maybe it's time to stop serving. I just want to say one thing. Be careful. Be very careful. Do not grow weary. Be very careful in that situation. First, look at Ezekiel's response. His human nature was, I'm angry. I'm bitter. I don't want to do this. But he weighed his own feelings against what God said. Check, check out what he did. He weighed his feelings against what God said. The first question you should ask yourself is, or not yourself, actually. The first question you should ask is, God, do you want me to do this? The first question should not be, how do I feel? Feelings are important. I'm not saying feelings are not important. But feelings should not, are not the most important thing. Why? Because feelings are fleeting. They change. They come and go. One day you're happy, the next day you're sad. The first question has to be, God, do you want me to do this? Is this what you want me to do? That's the first question that should be asked. You know, some years back, while I was still serving in Bridge, Andrea and I were growing our family, and we knew eventually it was going to get to the point where, you know, we couldn't serve in Bridge at the capacity that we were serving. We knew that was going to change once the family got bigger. We were able to hang on when uh, we had our baby girl, Abigail. You know, grandma stepped up. She was watching Abigail on Friday nights. But eventually, Andrea had to take a step back, and I kept serving. But now things changed a little bit more when number two came around, when Joel Jr. came around, JJ. At that point, I already knew it was time to hang up the cleats. Like, you know, I knew knew what it was. I got to be home with my family. I was still serving in other ministries, right? Because, again, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You're meant to be participants. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, you got to feel that tug in your heart. Like, I don't have to tell you. If you love Jesus, you know God's tugging at your heart to work for him. That's, that, that's just, that comes with the territory. So I, I know if, if you love Christ, you already know that. I'm just confirming something that you've probably already been feeling. So in my case, I was still serving in other ministries. I had other responsibilities, other commitments. But I knew as far as bridge, it was time. Like I said, to hang up the cleats, it was time to be home with my family. I needed to be home. I really just, to be honest, I just transferred from one bridge to another. I, I transferred from Bridge South Amora to Bridge at Home. It was Bridge of Resales. I was building my own bridge at home. I already had two under my belt. You know what I'm saying? You know, K2, that, that age group, there's always a smaller group anyway, so I had two of them. See, my decision, though, was not based on feelings. It wasn't. Don't get me wrong. There were some Fridays that... I'm a teacher, right? There were some Fridays. I was like, I just finished with being with kids all day. I'm going to go and, and be with more kids. Like, there's a lot of kids in one day, I'm telling you. But that wasn't it. I loved Bridge. I still love Bridge. I still love Bridge. Like, I get the itch sometimes. Now I want to go back to Bridge. But I know the answer to the first question. God, is this what you want me to do right now? I know the answer is no. I know that that's the answer. And that was the answer then. 
Two years after actually stepping away from Bridge, once our kids were a little bit bigger, I went back in a smaller capacity. I was helping out in a lesser capacity. And that was cut short because of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, then I had number three. So now forget it. Like now I have a, 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 a almost two-year-old at home. It's like, we have a, I'm telling you, I'm building my own bridge at home. You know, it, it's tough. But, you know, I always waited against that question. God, do you want me to do this? Not, God, how do I feel? Because I'm telling you, then one, one Friday I would have gone to bridge. The other Friday I wouldn't have gone. That's not how it goes. Do not grow weary in serving God because of how you feel. Number two, do not grow weary in serving when you don't fully understand. Chapter four. In chapter four, God commands Ezekiel to perform a symbolic prophecy that represented the city of Jerusalem being under siege. We'll read the first part of this symbolic act, and I just realized, forgive me, I I just realized I didn't give the verse, so I'm not sure if it's going to be up there, but it's in chapter 4, and this is what it says. Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Oh, it's, I think it's verses 1 through 3. He's got it? Excellent. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering, battering rams around it. Then take, then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. There were a lot of details there, so let, let me kind of explain what he had to do. God pretty much told Ezekiel to make an art project. He had to build a model of Jerusalem. And around that model, he had to put, like, basically towers. And those towers, that was actually an attack strategy, right? A way of the enemy trying to, I guess, elevate to be able to shoot arrows into the city to get over the walls so they can actually shoot into it. So that was designed to represent what was going to happen. You know, Jerusalem was going to be under siege. But then the second part is this. It's crazy. Watch this. The second part of this symbolic act, God told Ezekiel to lie down for 390 days on his left arm. And then, now, I'll explain. It's not full days, but still, for 390 days consecutively, at some point in the day, he's going to lie down on his left arm. And then 40 days more, the next 40 days, on his right arm. So it's a really strange thing to ask him to do, right? He didn't do this all day. It was only a part of the day, although the word doesn't really specify how long or what time. But imagine like every day from 12 to 3 p.m., Ezekiel goes to like, I don't know, the center of the town or whatever. He has this little art project that he built, and then he's lying down for 390, you know, lying down for a few hours from 12 to 3. Some of you are excited. You're thinking that's like a great siesta. That's a great nap from 12 to 3. But, I mean, just think about it. He had to do that. It was raining. It was like, you know, I don't think it had snow, but rain, cold, heat, whatever other conditions, he had to do that for 390 days straight and then 40 more days. Now, obviously, this was a symbolic prophecy. The 390 days represented the 390 years that Israel was rebellious against God. And then the 40 more days on the right side represented the 40 years that Judah was rebellious against God. So it was all symbolic. There was all a reason to it. But it's a strange thing to ask, right? 
It's a really strange thing. Like, I can imagine, if it were me, I'd be like, God, you just made me do an art project. Why can't I just draw myself and lie, you know, lying down? For I'll, I'll come and put the paper there for 398 days. But you want me to actually do this? That's a strange thing to ask. And obviously, um, as strange as this was, Ezekiel what? Ezekiel still did it. Ezekiel still did what God called him to do. See, sometimes God will do or allow things He'll either do something or allow things to happen that we don't fully understand. I'll give one example. Maybe serving in ministry, you know, there's like a sudden change that you didn't really, it was unexpected. You didn't know this was going to happen. Or, you know, a a change that was made that you still don't fully understand the reason why it's happened. And it's it's taken you like some time to adjust to. But here's a totally different example. And I know one that we can all relate to. They're in the pandemic. The pandemic, we all had questions. We had all kinds of questions. We had more questions than we had answers. We had way more questions than we had answers. Our world got flipped upside down for a long while, but the church kept going. The church kept going. We couldn't stop church, whether it was in person with masks or six, and, and being six feet apart, or it was a live stream, whether it was meeting outdoors or it was meeting on Zoom. Like the church had to keep going. We couldn't stop and wait till we had everything figured out. We couldn't afford that. That wasn't possible. We had to keep going. Just like the hospital couldn't close, the church couldn't close. Just like schools had to keep going, the church had to keep going. The government was able to print out money for, for people, right? The government wasn't making prayer lines for us to, talk, to call on every day. The government wasn't able to, you know, the government wasn't able to teach us God's word. The government wasn't reminding us that God was in control even amongst the chaos, The government wasn't like keeping us accountable to each other and helping us encourage one each other. That was us. That was our job. Even in the midst of not understanding everything, we still had to do what we had to do. As we gained more understanding of the situation, we adjusted. But the one thing is true is that we we never quit. We didn't stop. We didn't stop serving God. How we served might have looked different, but who we served never changed. And the fact that we served never changed. Like how it looked might've been different, but we kept going. We were still serving God and we didn't stop doing that. No matter what, what, it, what it took, we still did it. I'll never stop using this verse. Trust Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Our main responsibility isn't to fully understand God. Our main responsibility is to trust God and obey God. In fact, understanding is a fruit of trust and obedience. Like you, want, you really want to understand God? Trust him. Do you really want to understand God? Obey him. Through the trusting, through the obedience, that's how you actually get to understand more about God. He says, trust me first, then you'll get to know me. I'm, I'm, not, going, I'm not going to, pers- I'm not going to like, you know, persuade you and try to convince you without you actually taking a step. Trust me. You want to know a little bit more about me? Trust me. I already did all the persuasion I had to do on the cross. After that, you need to come to the cross. You need to take a step of faith. You need to trust. You need to obey. Through that, you'll get more understanding. Amen. It's funny. We want to put God in a little box sometimes. What that really is, like wanting, and listen, this is me. This is all of us. God bless you. It's all of us. We want to put God in a little box sometimes. When, when you want to understand first before you trust or obey, 
is because you want to be in control. That's what it is. It's a security issue. I want to feel secure. I want to run it. You might not be saying it like that blatantly to God, but that's really what you're struggling with. It's my will versus God's will. I want to run it. So we want to put God in a little box sometimes. But I'm convinced that not only will we spend the rest of our lives learning new things about God here on earth, I'm really convinced that we're going to learn, we're going to learn new things about God for the rest of our lives in eternity. Like forever and ever and ever in heaven, every single day in heaven, we're going to be learning something new about God. It's never going to end the new things that we're going to be learning about God because that's how much greater he is than us. And yet now we want to understand everything about God. Like, do you see how did, that just doesn't work? We want to get the whole picture before we take the step. And that's not what God says to do. No, take the step. Then I'll show you how to do it. Or I'll show you later on, you'll get the picture. You'll see it. Do not grow weary in serving God when you don't fully understand. And number three, do not grow weary in serving God when you don't see your impact. So let let me just repeat the, the first two. Number one, do not grow weary in serving God when you don't feel like it. Number two, do not grow weary in serving God when you don't fully understand. And number three, do not grow weary in serving God when you don't see your impact. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 31 through 33. This is God speaking to Ezekiel, and listen to what he says. Like, this is already seven years into, like, serving as a prophet. And he says, my people come to you as they usually do. And sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. When all this comes true, and it surely will, meaning all all of the judgment that's going to come true, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. God just flat out told him everything you've been saying, everything you've been doing for the last seven years. They've been listening to it. And on the outside, right, they, they, they speak as if they're in agreement. But afterwards, once they step away from you, they don't listen to any of it. They don't, they don't follow any of it. They're not practicing any of it. In other words, they're ignoring what you're saying. They're being rebellious. That's who they are. That's their heart. And Ezekiel had been doing this for seven years, like I said. By this point, the prophecy of Jerusalem being under siege had already come to pass. And they were still not obeying God. Like the prophecy that he gave about Jerusalem, that already came to pass. And they were still not obeying God. They saw the destruction and they still wouldn't listen to him. The city was destroyed and so was the temple. Their whole sense of security vanished just like that. Yet they were still a rebellious people. They would hear Ezekiel speak, but they wouldn't change. But the crazy thing is, Ezekiel kept serving the people of Judah. Not only did he keep serving them, he did it for another 15 years. For 15 more years, he kept serving the people of Judah. He continued prophesying for about 15 more years. He continued doing what God told him to do. And he continued to receive more prophetic messages from God. But this is the beauty of it, right? At that point, like, that's like the walkaway point. Like, I'm done. I already gave you your message. I'm going to keep, I'm going to go another way. You guys aren't listening. No. He stuck around. He kept serving the Lord. He kept being obedient to God. And then the messages changed. And I know this is for the people of Israel, but I'm also looking at Ezekiel. 
I'm also looking at him because at some point, you, it's got to be frustrating. Like, wait, they're, they're not listening to anything you're saying. His message changed. Now, now after all of the judgment was completely, you know, uh, completely came and, and, and uh, everything happened in Jerusalem that had to happen and all that stuff, God started giving Ezekiel a different message. And one was a prophecy of judgment against every nation that was an enemy of Israel. So now it's like, all right, you guys didn't listen to the judgment and you got the judgment, but now let me show you who this God is. Our God is a good God, even when you're not good. Even when you're not good, God is still good. So now he's going to, just like he had that judgment on you, he's telling you, he's going to bring judgment on the people that were against you because you're his people. So he's still going to bring judgment against the enemies, those nations that were against you, including the very nation that you're in, you're. Uh, held captive by, by ba- uh, Babylonia. Even by them, they're still going to get a judgment. And then the next thing he gave them were prophecies of a future hope for all of Israel, the northern and, so- and southern kingdoms. One of them is the Valley of Dry Bones. This was a vision that God gave Ezekiel, and he told him to prophesy and cause those dry bones in the valley to resurrect. And in this vision that happened, the, the, there was a resurrection of all these dry bones. They formed and they, were, they resurrected. It came back to life. And it's an amazing vision. But what it really represented was even more amazing. This was God saying, I'm going to resurrect the people of Israel spiritually. I'm going to bring you back to me. You're dead in your, in your sin. I've destructed everything. I've broken down everything that you put together. But now I'm going to restore it all. This was a message that God was giving Ezekiel to give to the people. Because he was faithful, he was able to deliver those messages. He said, I'm going to restore it all. There's a promise of restoration. And one other uh, promise of a future uh, like blessing or a future hope was the visions of a new temple. This was a very detailed description of the construction of a new temple. And there's, there's debate whether it's actually going to be a physical temple that's going to be rebuilt at some point, Right? If you look at the numbers, it's massive. It's like huge. So there's debate whether it's going to be really going to happen physically or, again, if it was all symbolic and just representing the restoration of, the, of, of like the, the nation. But the significance of these visions was that God's presence would return and he would restore Israel in the future. It all comes full circle. The, the thing that they found most security in was the temple. God destroyed it. So that they can open up their eyes and, and at least at some point realize that they're far from him. But then he's saying, in the future, I'm going to bring you back to me. So he's all coming back full circle. That I destroyed the very thing that you counted most secure, but I'm going to bring it back later to show you that I'm God. But then there's an extra note there that I find really um, like interesting. It's worth noting. It's a little nice treat for Ezekiel. Again, like I'm, I'm focusing on Ezekiel, right? The servant. And I think it's a really neat little note, a little thing to notice. Growing up, he had prepared to be a priest. He thought he was always going to, be, he was always going to serve in the temple. Not only did he never get to serve in the temple because he was taken captive before he became a priest, but then he had no hope of going back to it because it was destroyed. But like, God gave him this little nugget. He's like, all right, you're going to deliver this prophecy. You're going to deliver this future hope that the temple is going to be rebuilt. You're going to give this future hope of what I plan to do in the future with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. I thought it was worth reading this last sentence. It's the very last sentence of the book of Ezekiel. 
And it says this, Ezekiel 43, verse 35, but it's the, the last part of it. It says, and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. Now, if I understand that correctly, I hope I do, but he's, he's talking about restoring Israel and Judah, bringing them back together, right? And he's 390 years of disobeying God, 40 more years of disobeying God, all of the destruction, all of the judgment, and then he's given this hope of a future. And then he's saying, on top of everything, we're going to change the name. It's not going to be Israel. It's not going to be Judah. It's going to be the Lord is there. Like how much more hope can he give to the people? And Ezekiel was able to deliver this. He was able to deliver all of this because he did not grow weary when he didn't see the impact. He kept obeying and trusting God, even though he didn't see the impact. Let me tell you something. It's not your job to see the impact because you don't know what God is doing. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself over here, but sometimes you won't see the impact with your service. When this happens, it can leave you wondering, is it worth it? When this happens, it can leave you wondering, am I making a difference? Do people even care? Does anyone even notice me? Trust me, we've all been there. We've all felt that before because we're all human. We've all felt that. Maybe you feel like what you do is a thankless task. You wonder if you're appreciated. You wonder if it would even matter if you continued or you stopped. You wonder if you're really making an impact or not. And like I was saying, the truth is we'll never know our full impact. That's impossible. Why? Because you'll never know the full impact of that, that your service is doing to a person's heart. You'll never know the full impact that your service is doing to a person's mind. That's impossible for you to know. That's, and, and like I was saying before, it's not your job to know. As a matter of fact, it's not even your job to make impact. Ready? It's not even your job to make impact. It's your job to serve. God is the one that creates the impact. God is the one, the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. Like when you, if you're preaching to someone, if you're teaching someone about Jesus, you're just delivering that message, right? But that message, the power in that message is not that it's coming from your voice. It's not coming, it's not the words that are coming from your body. It's the Holy Spirit that's penetrating and making a change. You don't make impact. Let me actually, let's just answer that question. You're wondering how come I, you don't make impact. God does. It's God who does it. So don't, don't grow weary when you don't see the fruit of your service because it's God's fruit anyway. It's God's fruit anyway. We'll never see the full impact. Something we can be sure of is this. Nothing we do is done in vain. Nothing you do in the name of the Lord is done in vain at all. Like it's never empty. Anything you do for God is never empty. I remember Paul, like, in, in, I forget where it is, but Paul was, I'm, I'm, this is off, I'm going to butcher it, but it pretty much he was saying, you know, oh, there are people that are preaching uh, the, the gospel of Jesus to harm you. And he was saying, I don't care if they're doing it to harm me or if they're doing it for good as long as it's being preached, right? So in other words, he was saying, even those people that are doing it with bad intentions, right, that's still going to bear fruit. Are you following me for a second? Even the people that are doing it wrong, right, or the wrong heart, that's still going to bear some type of fruit. Even if it's not for them, it's going to bear fruit somewhere because God's the one that does the work. So imagine us, if you're doing it with love for God, nothing could be done in vain. It's going to bear some type of fruit for the Lord. It's going to bear some type of fruit for the kingdom. There's a, there's a saying that you've probably heard. It says, no good deed goes unpunished. I'm sure you've heard that. There's a better saying. I think I might have just made this up. I don't know if I, 
I don't know if I heard it somewhere or I just made it up, but there's a better saying. And this one is always true. No good deed goes unblessed. And for those that, that don't like that grammar, no good deed goes without blessing. You might have heard no good deed goes unpunished. No good deed goes without blessing. It's impossible. If God freely gives us, gives us salvation, even though we can't earn it, you think he's going to be stingy when we're doing things in his name? Like he freely gave us salvation when we did nothing. You don't think he's going to bless when we do something? Like you can't, I'm not saying you're going to earn salvation that way. You earn that freely. But when you do things in his name, he's going to bless it. Most importantly, because the blessing is for his kingdom. Preparing a message for Sunday mornings takes time. <laughs> it takes a lot of studying, a lot of praying. And I'm only saying this because it fits perfectly. It's like a perfect example for, for what I'm saying. It takes, like, I'm not venting here. Like, I love it. I love it. But it takes a lot of studying, a lot of praying, a lot of thinking, a lot of writing. But honestly, I receive my reward before I'm even up here. I receive my reward even before I get on this stage, 100%. I honestly receive my, my reward even before I come up here. Why? Because during that process, God challenges me to grow. During the process of preparing for a message, God challenges me to grow. Because before I can figure out what am I going to share, I need to figure out what am I going to learn. Before I can even put together what am I going to present, what, what, what are you going to teach me, Lord? What are you going to speak into my heart? What do I need to learn? It doesn't fail. I end up receiving a blessing on the inside because in the process, with all the wrestling and praying and reading and thinking, I'm growing closer to God. And that's the amazing thing about serving God. There's a dual purpose in the service. There's a dual, always, without fail, there's a dual purpose in the service. The one, the one thing, right, is the blessing that others can receive. is the outward blessing for others, right? It's an outer work. When you serve, you're blessing other people. But then there's an, a second one. There's an inner work. And without fail, God's doing this simultaneously. When, when he's using you to serve, he's blessing others. But then he's blessing you from within. He's causing you to grow with him from within. If you're not serving the Lord, let me tell you. Yeah, you might be missing out on some work you might feel like you don't want to do. But you're also being robbed of blessings. Because God wants to bless you also from within. That's what you're missing out on. And you don't even know it. That's the interesting thing about serving God. He has a dual purpose for his service. No matter what you're doing for God, here in the church, at home, at work, one thing is for sure, nothing is done in vain. And I'll end it with this verse. Galatians 6 verse 9 says it perfectly. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a service. I'm sorry, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think that sums it up perfectly. I'm going to give everyone a moment to reflect on today's message. So at this moment, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads. And I know we might all be in different places. Like I said this morning, if you're here this morning or watching online and you're not close to God, you might not know God. Maybe you don't feel close to him. But maybe you felt God tugging at your heart. 
Like maybe you know God is talking at your heart. Take this time to talk to him. Don't cheat yourself from this opportunity to get to know God. Don't cheat yourself from this opportunity to actually grow closer to him. Don't cheat yourself from this opportunity to, to have God reveal a truth about his character. Reveal a truth about his love. Take this opportunity to talk to him. And, and ask him, God, help me become closer to you. I want to get to know you. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Don't worry about any of the obstacles you feel are in the way. Don't worry about the things that you feel you have to try to figure out first. Don't let any excuse, any doubt, any baggage that you're carrying get in the way from this happening. All that gets, can get settled on the other side. But meet him at the cross. Don't lose this opportunity to talk to him. That's all it is. It's just a conversation. That's all I'm asking you to do. Talk to him. And see if he won't reveal something to you about him. But you got to trust and obey first. For those that know God but aren't serving, I hope you felt that nudge from God saying, hey, I need you. I've got work for you. Don't live out your Christian walk as a spectator. Be a participant, an active participant. Take this time to get connected with him and ask him, Lord, how do you want me to serve you? Don't let fear or uncertainty get in the way. Don't let any excuse keep you from doing the work that God has for you. Serving will take work, but not serving will rob you of blessings. Take this moment to talk to God. And lastly, for those that are already serving, take this time just to reflect on different things we've learned from Ezekiel's ministry. Don't grow weary when you don't feel like serving. Don't grow weary when you don't feel, you know, don't fully understand what God is doing. And don't grow weary when you don't see the impact of your service. Take this time to talk to him and ask him, God, you know, maybe you're already serving in the ministry. God, do you want me to, to do this? Is this what you want me to do? And use that question as a filter to separate what God wants and what you feel. Or maybe you already know exactly this is where I'm supposed to be. This is how God wants to use me. Ask him to help you not grow weary, but instead to be encouraged and refreshed as you serve him. So take just a, a, another minute. Just talk to him. Ignore everybody else. And as everyone's eyes are closed and maybe you're still praying, I just want to pray for everyone and, and just to close this, this morning. Dear Lord, I just thank you for allowing us to just, just see your heart allowing us to learn from your word. This is a, you know, a word that you give us because you want us to know you. I mean, that's obvious. You want us to know you. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here, all of us, we all get to know you more. Lord, first I pray for those that maybe don't have a relationship with you, that don't know you. I pray, Lord, that you speak into their hearts. Reveal to them how real you are, that you're the most real thing in this world. You're the most real thing in this world, Lord. The one thing they can bank on is you exist. You're the creator of, this heaven and the, of the heavens and the earth. And one day they will see you again. They will see you and they will have to answer what they did with Jesus. They'll have to answer that. And I pray, Lord, that they understand there's no excuse because they're hearing the truth here. That you sent Jesus on the cross to die in their place for their judgment, for their sin, for their consequence. So that they don't have to bear it for eternity. I pray, Lord, you speak that into their heart. 
that they may look at you in the scope of eternity, not just in today, not in just, just in tomorrow, in, the, in, a short, in a short-sighted view like that. Lord, I pray they see you in the view of eternity because that's how grand you are. And I pray they respond to the cross of Jesus with faith. Lord, I pray for those that are, 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 maybe they know you, but they're not serving you, Lord. I pray you put that burden in their heart to work for your kingdom, to not be spectators, but, but to be active participants, to serve you in a way that honors you and blesses you and blesses others, but at the same time, it blesses them from within. When we serve you, Lord, you cause us to grow. And I pray, Lord, that you put that, that desire in their hearts to grow to work for your kingdom, to love on other people, to love you, and even to love themselves. Because when we, when we serve, we grow too. We get blessed as well. And lastly, Lord, I pray for those that are serving, that know you, and are serving in your kingdom. I pray, God, that they don't grow weary. I pray that they be encouraged by the message of, of, of Ezekiel's ministry, that they be encouraged, that they look at Ezekiel and realize you know what? I'm not going to grow weary. I'm not going to stop serving because I don't feel like it. I'm not going to stop serving because I don't fully understand. I'm not going to stop serving because I don't see the impact. I'm going to ask you, Lord, do you want me to do this? And that's all that matters. And I pray that they respond, yes, if you say, yes, I want you to do this. Are you going to keep going? And they say, yes. And I pray that they find that encouragement from, from, you know, from each other, that we encourage each other and we remind each other that we're valued because it shouldn't be a thankless job. I pray that we encourage each other and build each other up and remind each other how much we all need each other. We do. From the, from the moment we walk in through that door, even when we go home and we call each other on the phones or whatever it may be, Lord, we all need each other because at the end of the day, we're serving each other too. That's what we're doing. So I pray for those that are serving, that they be encouraged in this manner. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.